Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the What the Niche podcast. And I am your host, Andrew Morris, and I am extremely excited to finally bring this product to fruition. And I hope it pleases all of your ear holes. Now, before I can move any further, I got to give a couple quick shout outs to a couple people who were an absolute integral part of putting this podcast together. Now, the first person on that list is Braxton Gaither. Now, despite him being someone who I initially met through a Zoom conference for the first time, he's been an immense help to me throughout this entire process. I commissioned him to create a logo for me, which he managed not only to create something that was exactly what I wanted, but far exceeded any expectations that I'd had for those images and those pieces. Beyond that, He has proceeded to give me advice and listen to any updates I had on a daily basis, and there were quite a few, and he assisted me in making my way through that entire process. And also, at some point, I should probably cut him in on an agent fee or something because he's thrown 20 or 30 people my way for me to interview, and they've all been fantastic. So for him, I have to say, thank you, brother. I appreciate you fine, sir. Second I have to thank my longtime friend, or more like brother at this point, Eric Chavez. He put together my intro and outro music for me. And again, he exceeded any expectations I had for those pieces. He's one of those most artistically talented people I've ever had the benefit of knowing. And to him, I say, I love you, brother, and thanks. Now, with this being the first show... I feel as though I got to address how these things are going to unfold. Every episode is going to be framed around the idea of conversing about a particular niche, lifestyle, group, clique, etc. However, the conversations will be as wide-ranging as the guests will be, so there'll be something for everybody to latch onto. Have no fear. Now, my guests will be people from a particular tribe or niche, and they will act as an ambassador for themselves and their experiences within said group. They obviously can't speak for the entirety of one group, and I never seek to have them do so because that would be unfair. However, my goal is to have them demonstrate that despite the varying differences and unique interests that humans have, we're all incredibly similar to one another. And it is in those common bonds in which we find strength and unity. (laughs) And I know it might sound cheesy, but I truly believe it to be true because I live it every day. The family I've compiled is one of the most eclectic groups you're likely to ever meet. But I love all of them for their eccentric qualities, and I wouldn't sacrifice the memories that we've been able to create together for anything in the world. So with all the rigmarole of setting up the first episode and giving you expectations of what these things are going to look like, I would love to present you with my first guest. I don't know that I could have found a better one. Uh, He's a longtime friend of mine, um, and I was really excited to have the opportunity to sit down and talk to him. Tim Neal is his name. He's a father, husband, teacher, jujitsu and judo practitioner, and author. The dude is a walking embodiment of someone you can't put in a box, which made the framing of this episode really tough. But after chatting with Tim about how to approach our conversation, we landed on issues stemming from his race. So we chose to frame the chat around him being a black man in America and abroad. And let me preface this by stating this is not a political podcast. However, Those ideals are often ingrained in people and therefore will come up in some of these conversations. The issues associated with being black in America are wide ranging and oftentimes present great difficulties for those living in that community. Here's an example of someone who has faced such adversity in the black community, and it's presented by ABC News featuring Ziana Oliphant, a nine-year-old girl from Charlotte, North Carolina. And we shouldn't have to feel like this. We shouldn't have to protest because y'all are treating us wrong. We do this because we need to and have rights. I've been born and raised in Charlotte. And I never felt this way till now. And I can't stand how we're treated. And it's a shame that our fathers and mothers are killed. 
and we can't even see them anymore. That's right. It's a shame that we have to go to their graveyard and bury them. And we have tears, and we shouldn't have tears. We need our fathers and mothers to be by our side. With these issues being so prevalent today, I found the chat with Tim to be incredibly poignant and uplifting during these seemingly divisive times. I hope his words and experiences can provide others who may feel disenfranchised or altogether hated some comfort. And maybe he can shine a light on just how similar he is to me, and most likely, you too. So to kick off our conversation, I'll use an excerpt from Tim's book, Screen Crack, to consider while you listen to our chat. People need to feel valued and respected. And this is done, in part, by paying attention. Be kind and considerate with your tech. And make sure the people within arm's reach get the full experience of your presence. Okay, uh, my name is Tim Neal, and uh, I was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, my uh, I've lived abroad, lived in a few different countries, Japan and China, and I've traveled about 30, 33 countries, yeah. Um, and I have a black belt in judo, a brown belt in judo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, taught English in two other countries besides the U.S. Um, and um, avid reader, you know, I, I try to read about a book, a small book a week, uh, usually about four books a month I make it through. And um, yeah, that's pretty much. Author. <clears throat> <laughs> oh yeah, I've written a couple books that are on Amazon. As I said, you forget, like <laughs> let you review it right up right before it. I have a couple books on uh, Amazon. One of them's just a scrapbook, and the other one's a book about um, being distracted by our devices, which is pretty. Uh, you know, yeah, this was a couple years ago. It's even worse now. Yeah, uh, and giving you uh, different tools to use to uh, cut down on. And that. what's that so, book called? In case people want to find it, uh, screen crack. Yeah, screen crack, like basically how you know how we've been, how we're addicted to our screen. Man, that could be more relevant a message for sure. We'll definitely have to come back to that. Um, so Tim is one of those people who is the very embodiment of my goal with this podcast. Uh, you know, of demonstrating that people can fit into a specific niche, uh, but you can't keep them in that one box. And uh, we just spent about seven minutes, I think, trying to figure out which way we could take this conversation. <laughs> I'm like, Hey man, which, which yeah. thing do you think would be most relevant and, and prevalent to you? And he's like, Hmm. Um, so we'll get into that. It'll organically shift into the, uh, about 17,000 interests that he has. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that one of the important conversations for him is he is, uh, he's a black man in America. And we had talked about uh, one of the other interviews. Uh, shout out to my boy, Justin Baker. Uh, I think that that episode will be coming up pretty at, around the same time, or I will piggyback it with his, uh, with Tim's here. Um, and I think some of those conversations will be unique for Tim uh, from Justin. So I thought that would be a good conversation to have. Uh, and I told him he's just so such a great inspiration that I thought that that would be a great way to frame this conversation. So, I like to start with the question of what are some of the misconceptions associated with uh, being a black man in America? And I know there's a lot. Um, what are some things that have directly impacted you? I know you talked about it a little bit before with me before we started. So if you could kind of enlighten us on what some of those things might be. Well, a lot of them come from, I don't hear most of them anymore from white people. They come from black people. So like, for example, uh, reading. I go into the barbershop, I have a book, and I either have to be in school, there's a reason I'm reading the book, or for some reason they ask me if I'm a Muslim. I don't know what that has to do with reading, but yeah, yeah. And they always ask me that. Every barbershop, are you a Muslim? I'm not a Muslim. What are you talking about? Because I'm reading all the Yeah, I don't know what, I, I can't even explain that. But um, so not being uh, interested in reading. Uh, not really being interested in a lot outside of sports, you know, like far as like what you talk about in public, 
Uh, that's another misconception. It comes through, like I said, other black people. Normally, let's I don't just have- stop the conversation. Yeah. Let's just talk, talk about your fantasy football team. Matter of fact, I mean, what are we even doing here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, and then, and then before I, before I'm traveling, also changed my my a lot of my interests. I mean, I wasn't into sports really big when before I left, but traveling through Asia, you. You don't really, you can't keep up with sport like the college teams, who's on the team, um, a lot of the NFL players, the NBA. So when you get back, you're out of the loop. People are talking about, you remember such and such used to play for, and I don't even know what they're talking about. I'm like, who's that? They're like, you don't know who's You know, so also there's no, um, you know, the sports that are popular in the world are not as popular here, like, you know, soccer, which they call football everywhere else. Uh, wrestling is big in most other places, but here it's like the Midwest mainly and a little bit in the Northeast. Um, and judo worldwide is popular, but here a lot of people don't know what it is. Like, Show me a judo chop. You know, <laughs> don't know what it is. Yeah. So it, your, your interests become more, I mean, it, it wasn't like it just happened from traveling, but it happened from like growing, being in my household growing up. Um, but yeah, that's just one of the things, like not being interested in intellectual pursuits. That's one of the stereotypes. Yeah, and that it seems, and I talked a little bit about this with Justin. It seems as though as those those intellectual pursuits are oftentimes kind of put down by individuals in that community, uh, where you know he yeah. talked about getting out of the community and pursuing and going to college, and you know he's he's he has always spoken uh, with a different uh, set of vernacular and always talked in proper mm-hmm. English and things of that nature. And then he right. gets categorized as white. Oh, you, you white, you white, Justin, you know, white, Justin. And it's like, well, he's, he's not yeah, really yeah, yeah. white though. Um, and I, I, I feel yeah. like you, you fall into the same thing, like where you speak very properly and you know, you're an author. So I know that you have a command of the language and one would assume anyway, not always okay. Um, <laughs> but it's so interesting that it they would downplay being an intellectual. But it do you what do you feel that's a product of it? Is it a product of what's been categorized for individuals in that community as a whole? Is it uh, the white community like wanting to keep them down? Is it? Well, I, I think that I think that it's maybe years and years ago where we ended up where a lot of people who made the most money in our communities, it came from physical pursuits like sports and entertainment. So we start channeling the kids into stuff that we think like, hey, you can pull us up out of poverty, but it's gonna be through sports or some type of entertainment, like a singer or something like that. And so then it ends up, cause we had, you know, our communities, we have people that are highly intelligent. We have a lot of well-known authors, you know, uh, you know, Baldwin, we had Ralph Ellison, we have a lot of a lot of authors and Octavia Butler. But that's not seen as being a something that can really happen on a large scale. But when you turn on TV, you know, you see LeBron James made, you know, hundred million. He just signed a contract. That's the only people that you really hear are making money in our communities mm-hmm. that are black. Are I mean, every now and then Oprah Winfrey, a few people, but they're all in entertainment. Everybody that's like billionaires um everybody that's really made anything that's you know where you say millions it would be entertainers and then or illegally <laughs> so but they don't promote the other people business owners or guys that have you know this guy has a printing company they don't really they don't really uh, well i think also the guy the people who have become successful in those non-traditional ways also try to keep themselves on the down low you know they don't want everybody knowing that yeah. they have money that's another thing. So it's not promoted. And then in the media, that's not promoted. So all these things come together to make it where you push your kids into things that, like my son, he 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 wrestles. That's not seen as something. You can't go become a professional. I mean, you can't be a professional wrestler. That's not the mm-hmm. same. Yeah. So they look at it like NFL, NBA. And I, my one of my in-laws, when I mentioned something about him having a wrestling tournament, they always say winning a wrestling tournament, they always bring up something about the money that you can make in it eventually. Like it's all about, is this something you can make money with down the road? If not, they're not coming to a tournament or anything. Now, if he was playing basketball, the whole we might have 30 people from mm-hmm. the family coming to see it. But in wrestling, they're just like, oh, okay, cool, yeah. 
what can you make from that? The, you know, forget about the character that you build and the persistence, the perseverance, all the life skills that it builds up in you. What, does it pay or is it going to pay eventually? So that's something that's prevalent in our community. It comes from all those factors, it builds into something where they don't see like, oh, reading? What's that going to do? Why are you reading a book? Are you in school? Like what? You know, they don't understand like the other, they don't, the stats like, okay, the average American reads what, 1.5 books a year and every CEO reads 50, mm. you know, so that can actually change, you know, like they're talking about Bill Gates reads six hours a day. So, you know, so that can actually change your status in life just by reading. But how many people, how many times have they, have, do you even hear that? I mean, especially in our communities, it's just not, it's not promoted. It's the main thing is basketball and then football. That's how you're going to make yeah, it. Yeah, I see that pretty consistently. Uh, I teach humanities and I often try, I want to try to enlighten the kids on the other facets uh, of the artistic community to the things that they can do and sort of expose them to some of these artists that have taken different avenues outside of the, the mainstream, uh, which I think is right. either film or, or music, you know, and I, you know, I'll talk mm -hmm. to him about some of the great stage actors and, uh, some of the great, um, some of the great abstract artists and different graffiti artists and people that have really developed a name for themselves and built brands on uh, these things and really tried to get them to think outside the box of just those few things that you mentioned, which is so odd. Now, um, do you think that with coming to the, the forefront of what we see as one of the greater aspirations as Obama becoming president, do you think that that had an impact? And again, I know that you, you can't speak for an entire community, but have you seen some changes in sort of the, the thought processes into what's possible? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like, it was like an outlier, you know, like, oh, Obama, but now it's the day to day, what you see impacts you more than like just seeing there was a president that was black and because, you know, like the doctor, when you go to the doctor, it's normally going to be somebody. It's not going to be a black guy nine times out of ten. Even in Atlanta, it's an Indian guy. You know, a city that's like over 80 percent black. And it's still you go to the doctor when I live there. And it's like, it's oh, this is a guy from Pakistan. When, so even in the media, so usually a black doctor on the show. No, I think there's one show I can think of that had a black doctor. So even in like most places you go, when you find people who are in the pursuits are considered intellectual, if you don't. It's just you don't see those role models. So in your mind, that's what you get programmed with. And it also creates a sense of inferiority. So when it comes time to go try to get in the field that traditionally we're not in, you know, there's it's there's different language that's used. Like if you come from middle class, you come from poverty, the way you even deal with like uh, stress is poverty, you deal with it with aggression and physical response. And middle class, you might it might be, oh, we need to have a meeting, you know. So you're, it's hard to even fit into a workplace where the people, human resources, for example, are coming from a different background and you're speaking different, you're using different codes to communicate. Um, so that keeps a lot of people in that mind state of not even trying. I remember I told a guy, I said, uh, yeah, man, I've, I've been living, he hadn't seen me since high school. And I said, I lived in China and Japan. And he was just like, he didn't, I don't even think he, I think he kind of just blocked it out because he's been living in the hood. It's all, he's just like, oh, yes, yeah, what's up? Hey, well, so, man, what? And then he just went on to a different topic, asked me some questions about, did you see LeBron last night? Or so I was like, this guy didn't ask me anything about living in Japan and China. I haven't seen him in 20 years. But he, to him, it's just like, dude, that's cognitive dissonance. Like, you're, you're black and you live in China. You know, so it's, it's very, very um, unusual in our communities to, meet people. I mean, there's people I've met that have been that are black. And but when I was in China, you know, we're going up a mountain, there's another black guy coming down the mountain. You know, it's not like there's right. nobody like I us. I think it's it's, just, in, it's interesting yeah. you bring that up because at my school this year, uh, I had worked with a company called Education First. You probably heard of them. Uh, they do EF tours and they set up tours for kids all over the globe. Like you can go anywhere. Uh, and they they set it up for you. They're, they're a nice like liaison for your trips. And I had gotten all the right. information from them. Uh, I had already set up four fundraisers to pay for it. Uh, and I'm in a school that's 67% uh, students of color, 76% uh, students uh, free and reduced lunch, which means I'm in a high uh, impoverished school. And so yes. it's interesting that you said that because I had a meeting. Uh, my goal was to get 
like 16 kids that wanted to go. Uh, our, our student population consists of about a thousand kids. Uh, and I thought that maybe I could get 16 of it out of a thousand that would be interested in going. I had 18 kids show up uh, to a meeting that I was hosting about giving them some information, how long the trip would be, the cost. And as soon as I said the cost, everybody shut down. Even though, even though right. before I said the cost, I mentioned the four fundraisers that we were going to do. And right. you know, I talked about all the experiences and showed them the pictures. And it seemed like they had already built in their head that this was like an unattainable option for them to travel. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe they, yeah, yeah like they'd never maybe had anybody in their family travel. And it wasn't just, right. it wasn't That's just individuals in the black yeah. community. I think it was a, it's a poverty issue too. It's poverty. It's yeah. not the color. Yeah, it's it's poverty. It's like if you're from Portland, you're not, yeah. you know, like about and it's sad because that those are for me some of the most enriching experiences I've ever had is traveling and getting to know other people and the people that you do know that are well traveled. Nine times out of ten, from my experience, are some of the most informed, uh, well-rounded people that you'll ever meet because they've had those genuine life experiences that you can't possibly get from a book. You can't possibly get from uh, just watching it on TV. Oh, I watched a documentary on Netflix last week. And uh, I mean, I, I really believe I know about Asian people now, you know, and you're just like, well, do you, you know? So, so that's, that's a good point, man. Like it just, and I, I don't understand how we change it. Like how we change those perceptions of what's possible. Batman. Um, it's, it's, I mean, my, my daughter was in, uh, she made it on the quick recall team at, at her, at her elementary. And, uh, I was standing in line. We were late one day. I was standing in line. There's a line of people had to sign in. And as I go out, so they announced that she, this is how big of a deal they make it when like this shows you like, this is a common perception. It's not just like my perception. This is what, so, when my son made it on the math counts team in uh, in Mazique, for example, they announced it first uh, African American to make it on the math counts team in ten years. So I was like, "Why did they announce? What? Why did they announce that?" You know. And then she gets on the uh, quick recall team, and when I'm le- I, we're signing in, and there's a line of people, and this is something where everybody needs to hurry up. The secretary signed everybody up, signed everybody in, gets up, comes out of the office. As I'm leaving, she's like, Mr. Neal, I'm thinking my daughter's in trouble. I'm like, oh, yeah, what, what happened? So she says, I just wanted to ask you, do you know any other kids? You know, she's whispering. She's like, do you know any other kids that uh, any other black kids that want to get in any of the brain clubs? She said, because she said, I said, well, uh, she said, I mean, because, you know, we're in all the cheerleading. We're in all the basketball. But Amin is the only one in quick recall, which I hadn't been in the room with all the quick recall. I go in the room and it's, you know everybody's Indian or white. And then there's a, there she is. And so they're try, they were actually like, please, can you find some more black kids that are interested in this and bring them and get them into the quick recall club? And I was like, Oh, well, I mean, then they, they go to play other teams at other schools. And whenever we go to the black schools, man, there's like two players or three players. Our team's got like 30 people, but they're not into that, but go play the basketball team. There's going to be plenty of people because once again, that's the thing that they feel like you can get into. And you can go on up the chain and end up being rich, which it's almost, I mean, the chances of that are like the same as the chances of getting struck by yeah. lightning, but you know. And I think again, it's, uh, it's given, being given those opportunities to see what the possibilities are, uh, because I've seen it firsthand in my class. Um, we did a theater unit and I made the kids put on their own plays. I assigned them all roles. I was like, I understand that not everybody in this class is going to want to be an actor, but we're going to need light designers. We're going to need a sound designer. We're going to need a director. We're going to need an artistic designer, costume designer. Uh, And I went through all these roles. I explained all these things and I kind of scaffold that knowledge before we got into it. And you would be amazed at how many of them were so into this stuff. My sound designers were so excited and they queued up their sound effects when we put on the plays and, you know, they were working really, really closely with the director and the directors. I had to, you know, front load some things that they had assumed about directors were like, we're just going to tell people what to do. And I'm like, ah, that's a good way to, it's a good way to <laughs> shut everybody down, but okay. Um, so seeing them and then I had done a uh, survey of how many kids would be interested 
um, in a theater program at my school, which they've eliminated. Uh, it's been gone, I think, for four mm -hmm. years. And the the response was great. Uh, out of 150 kids right. that I had myself, just me, I had 80 students who were like, yes, absolutely. I would love to be involved with some aspect of theater. And so it's like, in being an actor, I've done several plays in the local area, and I sat down with my buddy, uh, Derek Palmer. I'm going to give shout-outs to the people that I've already had on the podcast um, or will have on the podcast, depending on when this comes out. Uh, Derek Palmer talked about that very thing. He's like, there's tons of individuals in this community that are really talented and are in the black community. They just put on the show Dream Girls at JCC, and so many people in the community were like, where did all these people come from? And you're like, they're there. They're just not getting the exposure. They're there. They're there. They had the top team in New York mm -hmm. chess team. Uh, when you go to chess tournaments now, like my, my kids play chess and we go to, so we've been to nationals and you see like majority of people are from, you know, Asia. And then you have a lot of white kids and there's white kids too. But the top team in the last few years was uh, from Brooklyn. And it was uh, the most people on the team were black, but you would be shocked. You see them come in like, oh, what are these, who are these kids? Oh, those are the national champions. What? And they all come from like extreme poverty, you know, but they have a grandmaster in their school and they're, you know, they're really talented at it. But if it, their, their parents were like, no, we need to be, and they have also in New York, they have like chess yeah. as a class at school. It's not like a, a extracurricular, but you know, it's, it's kids that come from, like you said, it's not black, it's just lower socioeconomic yeah, background. If, if they're given the correct tools, um, they will, and they're given the exposure, then they will branch out and they have other interests. It's not like they only want to do basketball or just be a, you know, like a rapper or that's not like a well, natural, you know, it's not like a natural. They don't even creation. know, like RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan is a chess master. Like they have their own right. website and stuff for, for chess and they absolutely love it. And it's like, would you know that if you didn't dig right. deep, if you happen to hear it in some weird right. interview, you know, it's like yeah. those things need to be brought to the forefront that like, you're not stuck in just these couple things. And I, I think it, it's, it's, it might sound like conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat stuff, but it does seem like it's an issue of media broadcasting what they want. You know, and it's right, yeah, exactly. That's what's being promoted, and I mean, all over the world. Yeah. Though, it's oh, not yeah. just here. When you when you travel, when I'm in China, uh, they were asking me if I knew Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah. they, they actually, you're you're black. They, you obviously they know him, right? Did. You guys like have Sunday you know, brunch. All of you guys know, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And people in New York, yeah, they they do Mike Tyson, Michael Jordan. What they mentioned some other stuff. I was like, no, I don't know. What are you talking about? But they're like. Well, they didn't even know black people came from the U.S. They think that all black people come from Africa. That's a whole other topic. Like when you yeah. go to Asia, they ask you what country in Africa you're from. So even if you say United States, they're like, you're, you're born in the United States? No. <laughs> even you're from Cameroon. And the I, I don't yeah. know if you encountered this, uh, but one of the teachers that I work with, she had talked about her travels in China, and she said um, she had went with a, a, a black guy from her college who was six foot nine, and was a, a very dark complected black guy from he actually was from africa she said that uh, people yeah. in beijing would actually stop him on this not even like stop him just like walk up to him in front of him with the camera and take pictures with them with, without even asking no they didn't yeah they do that all the time no they just grab you they don't ask you to no no look when you're in china you i remember sitting at a place and i'm eating and i was like man what I look over out the window and there's these people outside. I'm like, whoa, what, what? And I'm like, I'm like, what is going on out here? It's a whole bunch of people just pointing at you. And like, I guess they think something's going to come out of your mouth and grab food <laughs> or something. Um, and then when you're, when we were out in like on trips, people would grab you and be like, hey, and you'd be like, get off me. What are you doing? You turn and like his wife is over like, Shh, sh, sh. they don't ask you. They just take Yeah, my picture. friend yeah. said someone yeah. handed they, them, uh, him yeah. their baby. Just gave them the baby and then took the picture with the baby. And you're Here's just take my baby a picture. Oh, that's amazing. Look at this giant man. Holy crap. Like, what? So the giant man, but anybody black has been in Asia, you've experienced like that. Dude, I used to go around the corner of a place. I don't know if I've told you this before, but in China, if I walk around the corner and like somebody looks up and sees it, they will like that. And so, 
Yes, yes, yes. And and it happened so much. I was getting I was getting to the point where I was like really irritated every day. I was like, these stupid stuff. People keep on doing stupid shit. So I was instead of walking around frustrated all the time, I was like, oh, you know what I'm gonna do? When they do that, I'm gonna do it. So they would jump. I would jump. So even one time I just threw my somebody. I came around the corner. They were like, oh, I, like, I threw my papers in the so I started making my wife, was, she was like, that's a great way to deal with it. I was like, yeah, because if not, I'm just going to be like yeah. white people, you know. Because they would they would really do silly stuff, but I would just imitate. The, or if we're in the grocery store, one person walking this way, they'll look in your basket and see what you're, like, lean over your basket. So I would lean over their basket while they're leaning over my basket. <laughs> I'm like, what do you got in here? What do you got to buy? You know? what, do you, what do you think that's attributed to? Is it is it the fact that they're an insular nation? And I know that China controls yeah. a lot of the stuff that they're allowed to see. Is it lack of exposure? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the news in most countries besides the U.S. is not entertainment-based. So they don't show all these different. Well, in the U.S., they still show mainly the U.S., but. We have a lot more people here from different places. So when we go outside, you know, I could see an Indian I walk down the street. In China, usually you're going to see other Asian. It's going to be mainly Chinese, even not even Japanese or Koreans or anything. It's just Chinese. So you don't see, unless you're in southern China, anybody with dark skin at all. I mean, um, so it's it's really, really crazy when you come around the corner and some dude, you know, that's a black guy. And their perception of it definitely, the news just shows like, I mean, they do show documentaries, though, from Zimbabwe. Like, they would do in-depth documentaries of Robert Mugabe when I was there. Some leaders that you would never see a document or an interview, in-depth interview of here because of they're looking at him like, oh, he's so terrible. So you would see that, but you didn't see, like, common um, – and it also had to do with the city I was in. I was in a city called Yangzhou. It's a small city, uh, 5 million people. Um, and if I was in Shanghai, though, they weren't doing that. No. They weren't doing it in bigger cities. It was just the city I lived in was a unique experience um, with the people jumping and all this crazy stuff. But it depends on where you are in China, too. But they're definitely not exposed to a wide variety of looks, you know. Yeah, and it's probably, I know it's probably this unique dichotomy of us versus them uh, type thing where it's, you know, when you see that documentary, you don't see that as your neighbor. Um Whereas yeah. here, like in Louisville, right. you know, you, in JCPS uh, within the county, uh, there's 135 spoken languages, you know? So you're like, right. we right. obviously have such a unique uh, mixture uh, of, of people from around yeah. the world. So I could, like you said, it's, it's exposure. I can go to value market. Uh, I know the value market over uh, in the South end, right off Southside drive or right off uh, South third street there. Uh, it's near Americana yeah. apartments and you go in there and it's, the food section there is crazy. Uh, there's so many different things I've never seen before because they've included yeah. all these things that are consistently purchased by individuals that live in American apartments from all walks of life. And there's four different uh, grocery stores there for different ethnicities and things of that nature. So we definitely can have right. exposures to that in a way that I don't think that they do. Um, and Japan either, same thing. It's just the same experience. But Japanese are, are it's too impolite to like stare. But I mean, a Chinese, like you could be sitting somewhere, a Chinese guy sit right across the room, just look at you like with your <laughs> mouth open. <laughs> no, yeah, it's because they don't care about that. It's nothing, nothing about being rude in public. Like, you know, people push each other and stuff because there's so many people trying to get on the bus in, in China. You have to push to get on the bus, like they push you and then you got to push back and people pull people off the bus to get on the bus. And there's no like women go first. You just push the woman back. You know, like there's no, yeah. Do the people fight, fight? The guys go often. Yeah. Yeah. They fight. Yeah. They like, if you're on a bus, I remember we we're on a bus and going into town, I'm like, why is it going so slowly? Cause you don't get that traffic like you do here, unless you're in Beijing or a real big city. Um, the traffic moves pretty well because they drive so crazy. They'll drive up on the sidewalk and they'll drive down the wrong way on the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this day, I was like, man, what's going on? I look out. These guys are just brawling in the middle of the street, just like fist fight, you know, because it's like such rude stuff that people do. And then a lot of people temper is really short because you're just always around so many people. That's just how it is when you're packed in a country with billions of people. Short tempers for sure. Yeah. Now, have you ever been to India? No, I've See, never been I wonder no. if it's the same, if it's the same situation there, because you're talking about a country that's what maybe one and a half times the size of Texas, with nearly two yeah. billion people, 
So it, it's got to be even it's more. Um, you're going to compile that problem even more. So you wonder if they're uh, doing the same thing with being rude to each other and fighting. Is it this free for all? I, I wonder. Um, yeah. Well, my, my son's best friend's Indian and most of the, he's on like the teams that he him, ends up on like chess and math counts are all Indian. So yeah, their uh, accounts of, and even like you said, with the documentaries, you can see a little snippet and hearing accounts of people that have been in India, like they're, if they date an Indian woman, like they walk down the street, guys will just come up and say some of the most insane stuff that nobody in the U.S. would ever do. Like just walk up and be like, why are you with this guy? Are you, you just do some of the stuff they were like, nobody actually said they're like, yeah, the guy grabbed the girl. Yeah, because you're with a non Indian guy. Yeah, they'll just grab her. Like, oh, you're with the foreigner, grab her butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said he had to fight oh, people. Yeah, over there. I, like, yeah I better, you better go yeah, train yeah. then. Be like, I'm going to hit the gym if I'm ever going to, you know, for, with my Indian girlfriend in that country. Be like, bro, I've been lifting for two years. I'm a black belt in judo. I've been training for this day. Try me. <laughs> I'm training for the Indian with my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. The stories were crazy. But it's the same. This is the same um, type of environment because of having that quantity of people. And then, you know, that just creates a certain type of like, you have to be like, when I went from China to Japan, I noticed I was talking louder. So when I came, you know, I spoke, I spoke Mandarin and, and Japanese. So I, when I came from China to Japan, I noticed that I was being pushy and Japanese are the most polite people in the world. But when I would walk into a group, I would just push through people because I was so used to the mm -hmm. Chinese way. I was like, uh oh, I'm gonna miss the because I mean if you're like polite, you'll just get bullied from even getting on a, a bus in, in in China. They'll just be like, oh, okay. <laughs> the foreigner got close the door. So you have to like push your way in. But Japan is the opposite of that. So when you I'm pushing in and I start noticing I'm like, Man, everybody's pushing <laughs> these people. Everybody's just standing there looking like, what's wrong with this guy here? <laughs> Why is he pushy and stepping in front of people? So I had to adjust. The difference between China and Japan was stark. Even the the noise and the environment in China, I mean, in Japan was so low compared to China, where people because it's a tonal language. It's oh, in Japan, it's like really, really silent, and you don't talk to strangers and interact very much. So nowhere near the amount of of of, uh, of noise in Japan and China. So there's a lot of adjustments to make between those countries, but you still got the same level of like we haven't seen anybody that looks like you. Uh, so, but the, the staring is like, if all of a sudden somebody is staring, if they don't stare at you like this, and then if you turn to look at them, they look away. But the Chinese will just keep <laughs> looking at you, you know? Yeah, yeah, very different. It's, it's, yeah, that's wild, man. <laughs> Did you ever uh, encounter <laughs> any of the uh, the vending machines with the used undergarments in Japan? Is that a real thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's that's a that's the strangest. I mean, there's a vending machine. I got off of the. I was on lost on this bus. I, I wasn't paying attention. What was on the front of the bus? I got on this bus way out in the countryside, man. And I was like, uh oh, turn the wrong way, you know. So I'm like, wait a minute, supposed to go left, right there. Where we go? And I got. I just hit the button too quick, and I got off in the middle of nowhere. It's just like a rice field in a, a road that's crossing, and there's a vending machine. In the middle of nowhere, I'm like, what is this vending machine, man? You could not, there's no way you would just die of thirst in Japan. There's too many <laughs> vending machines unless you have no money. So I'm like, dude, there's a, there's not even a house. Where's this vending machine? So I come up and it's got the, the panties in, in, the, in the vending machine. In, in the, the middle of nowhere. Yeah. In the middle Ooh. of nowhere. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I was like, oh, I know hey. that they have an issue. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an, a unique issue to that area that they have. Why are women that can't get husbands? Because everybody's like too yeah, busy yeah. and like, so it becomes this big issue. Uh, and then they have like these weird, I know Vice has done a couple bits on it where they have like these places that you can go in and like girls will just sleep with you. Not like sex at all. Like it's just them laying there with you, giving you companionship. And it's so, uh, that's out there, man. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, their society is called a, it's like a homosocial mm. society. So you don't, like, you know, I hear you might go out and it's you and your buddy and then a couple of girls, but y'all are just going out kicking it. You don't do that in most of Asia. You go out with guys and you keep drink with guys. And only time you go with women is like it's a dating situation or sex or something. There's no like, oh, let's just go out and hang out together with some girls. That doesn't happen. So it's it's very you, and, and Asian guys don't approach women. 
in, in public. That's not normal. You meet them in school. So if you make it out of school, you don't have a mate, usually it's going to be tough. And and usually they, they encourage you to be married by, or in society in general, it's, it's, they, you're encouraged to be married by 25 for the girls. And if you're uh, not married by 25, they have this term called Christmas cake. Because Christmas on Christmas, they eat cake and chicken, fried chicken. They think that's what we do here. It's funny how we have these misperceptions about what they do there. But they have the same thing. They would say, don't you eat cake on Christmas? I'm like, cake? And they said, yeah, in KFC, KFC chicken. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not, I don't know what you're talking about. So they're like, yeah, yeah, we thought America, they eat cake and eat chicken. I was like, no, they don't do that. That's not. So, but they call the women Christmas cake. They'll say she's Christmas cake. Like she's beyond 25 and she's not married. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's so many, dude, like if you go, if you go get, there's one train, there's a part of Japan, uh, up Tokyo called Ebisu. And it's a model, modeling agency. So that I got off the train, man, I swear. And there was maybe, it looked like about 50 women, like model, uh, uh, you know, beautiful. About 50 of them, no men. I was like, what? I'm looking around like, Am I, is this a, a women's only stop right here or something? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, because the guys are all at work and then the women are doing the shopping or whatever. And then there's no mixture. There's no mixture. Yeah. So that's why you have those services where the guys are like, okay, I have no idea how, how to talk to women because I hang out with guys all the time. So it creates these services like the maid services. They have those, those uh, there's restaurants where the floor is see-through. You know, the ceiling is see-through. You sit on one floor, you can look up and the girls have the, you know, the no panties on. So you can look up and see them serving and they're wearing maid outfits. Yeah. I'm about to book a trip. <laughs> this sounds like trouble for like somebody. You send an American over there who speaks Japanese. That shit's curtain, son. He's going to end up killed. He's going to end up killed yeah. by, he's going to sleep with like somebody in the, the, uh, Akira or what's the, uh, what's the, the what's the group the uh, mafia group that was running pride and oh, oh yakuza, yakuza yeah, yeah. like yakuza. he's gonna end up messing with one of yeah. the yakuza's wives because he's just like super debonair dude used to talking and you know well the, the good thing about japan is is that uh you can tell who's who's who like everybody wants to have a kind of like a uniform like i'm from the Yakuza. I'm a nurse. I'm, so if somebody's like a delivery person, they wear their delivery outfit the whole day. So it's um, like it's like somebody, a real life cosplay for everything. Yeah, for everything. Yes, yes. Teachers will dress like a teacher. Yakuza guy's going to have a slick back hair. Dude, he's not going to be just you know. Here's anybody could be. Oh, he's a criminal. But you don't even know it. There, it's like he's got a slick back, kind of like an Elvis hairdo, and he's got sunglasses on. And he drives an American car, probably a Cadillac. That's a yak. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's yeah. yeah. And they look so they look kind of silly, but extremely dangerous. But they look when you look at them from coming from the west, you're like, man, this guy, this guy's nothing, you know. And we've had we had a couple incidents. Oh, because you know, do a judo. A lot of guys, a lot of yakuza do either karate or judo or kendo. So you run into yakuza yakuza guys in the dojo. So were you, um, if you disrespect, well, not disrespected, but if you bettered them on the mat, were they, were you in trouble? No, no, no. It, but when you went against them, everybody would stop. I never knew this one guy was like in the office. I didn't even know it. He just looked like a college kid to me. And he, I only thing I noticed was different about him was his phone would go off. Just like, this is before everybody was really doing all the texting, but his phone was like, just, 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 and he always had to get off the mat and text and get back. And one day I asked him if he wanted to go. And I noticed when we started going, everybody stopped and was moving off the mat. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And they just watched. And I remember I almost threw him and they were like, ooh, everybody was like, ooh. And I was like, what is going on? Is this guy like in the, I'm thinking it's just because his yeah. level's so good. I'm like, oh, it's supposed to be pretty good if I almost threw him and everybody went, ooh. And then when we were getting dressed, uh, getting put in our clothes back on, he takes his gear off. And you know, in the US having a tattoo would be nothing, but there, nobody has a tattoo unless they're Yakuza. Yeah, you're not supposed to. So you're not supposed to expose your tattoos in public. I know that uh, Joe Rogan had talked about that when they had done a uh, an event over there. You know, he's covered, and he's like, I had to be very yeah. mindful of the fact that I had to keep those things up because they would make assumptions about you if you were exposing your tattoos. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this guy, he takes off his his gi, and he's got a he's got like a dragon on his back. And uh, my buddy that's in the Air Force was there, and he's been there for ten years. He said, "Oh." He said, oh, I see why they were doing all that. I said, what's that? You know, me, I've been there like 
five months or something. I said, what, what, what? He said, look, look at his back. I was like, so what, a tattoo? He said, no, nobody has tattoos. That dude's a Yakuza. I'm like, oh. So that was the, you know, but like you said here, it would be, it's, it's something, the differences in little stuff like that. If you have a tattoo, there's a thing called onsen over there. It's like a mm -hmm. hot spring and you go into it and it's like, kind of like going in the spa. But if you, if they see you have tattoos, you can't come in. Oh shit. You can't even That's go in there. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So a lot of Russians. So Hokkaido is the, the, the uh, northernmost area of Japan. It's like an island, northernmost of, uh, part of Japan. And a lot of Russians live there because it is super cold and stuff. But the Russians are always having conflicts because they try to go in their own city. A lot of them have tattoos. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they put on there, like, they actually put up, they used to have up no Russians, but they were, you know, the, the, the parliament's like, he put no Russians. <laughs> you know, so they put, you know, <laughs> so they put, and then some of them say no foreigners, just right on it. It's a no foreigners, period. No, any type of foreigner. So they had to change it to no tattoos. And they figured that would kind of filter out most because most foreigners that they've seen are tattooed. Yeah. Yeah, that's man. That's that's yeah. wild. I, boy, we could dive down this. Uh, you're basically <laughs> like giving me the uh, travel channel breakdown of all this stuff. It's neat. It's neat. But I think I think you're. It, it's it's so interesting to see that you know it's not just us that it has all these different little uh, odd mannerisms yeah. and things that we do publicly. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's probably what makes the dynamic of America so interesting is because. We are so many yeah. different things, and uh, but it's yeah. good to hear that I don't have to fight to get on the bus here because man, I wouldn't be a big Dude. fan of that. Uh, no, that was rough, man. That's not. It's hard to get, but because even when you get on the bus in China, somebody's face is like right here, man, like this close. Like I remember being like, man, come on, man, this dude. <laughs> You know, like you're leaning over, like, come on, dude, get your move your lips away from me, man. You're almost like <laughs> kissing. But he can't. He if he backs up, he's gonna hit people fall asleep, Andrew, on the bus and just stay up upright because they're just there's so many people. Yeah. <laughs> so you I remember guys asleep and he's just like I'm like, this guy's sleep standing up, but we're so packed in, he's not gonna fall over. He knows it, you know. So and people bringing you can see where the viruses come because I remember looking down like on the bus. I'm trying to look down, I couldn't move that much. And I see like this guy's got turtles in a bucket with some water. I'm like, does this guy get turtles? And then I hear, I hear like, rup, 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 rup. I look over. There's a chicken underneath the seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the type of environment That's... you're in. in China. Wow. Okay. Well, I think you've you've sold me. I will definitely let my travel agent know that that's off the list. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll visit somewhere else: Thailand, Taiwan, Indonesia, something. Uh, <laughs> I've heard, I've heard yeah, nothing yeah. but good stuff about Thailand. Like the people are nice. Food's amazing. Thailand's it's nice. cheap. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So another thing that um, I'd like to talk about is what is something that you as a person, and, we, and we've already, I told you that this would organically shift away from the initial focus, yes. which is great because I think that you sharing these perspectives that are unique to you, are demonstrating that there are so many things that you could go outside of with that rather than just kind of like pigeonhole ourselves talking about that. Um, what is yeah. probably the greatest accolade that you've had in your life? Um, Cause I know that you, you're a black belt in judo and you're brown belt in jujitsu. What is the one thing that stands out to you? Uh, and I hope your kids take major offense to this and your wife, let it be something else. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, probably when I mean it was getting the black belt was tough man like um because when I went over there I went to a the place where I live when I went to Japan to be clear the place that I live was a small city it's called Maibashi it's like two and a half hours north of Tokyo and the dojo I went to was a pre-world war ii dojo so it survived the bombing and um they uh don't necessarily like foreigners, especially people from the United States. A lot of the judo dojos are right wing. They would be like are considered our right wing. They don't like foreigners. That's how they are in judo. Yakuza, police, construction worker, the hardest guys over there. Guys are in the military, even though they supposedly don't have a military. Um, so guys in the self-defense forces. So you're dealing with a lot. Nobody speaks any English. And even if they did, they wouldn't speak English in front of the, their buddies because of the crony belief system we're talking about, right? So that was extremely difficult getting the uh, because you had to have 
there it's not like they just promote you based off of, oh, you're getting, you know, like, you know, some jujitsu schools just get promoted based off of the guys rolling with you and he, you know, oh, you're tough. You have to get a certain amount of points in competitions to get moved up, right? So I had to compete even though I was really, like, I was like, man, I work all the time. Now I got to go to a competition on Saturday and spend the whole Saturday. It's just like a jiu-jitsu competition, spend the whole day, you know. Um, so when I finally got that, like, and also the other thing was my age compared to the other guys who, uh, average black belt over there would be by the time they get in high school because they start when they're like mm-hmm. four. So by the time they get in high school, they all got black belts. So my age starting at 30 or 31. And then I'm so my, you know, you're you're not as fast and you're dealing with kid, guys that are 18 and 20 and you're just getting thrown all over the place. And just, you know, so sticking with that and making it to black belt was very trying. A lot of injuries, you know, because we get a lot of injuries in jujitsu, as you know, but judo injuries were much much more, I mean, I've had injuries in jiu-jitsu where I'm limping, but almost every time in judo when I was injured, I you couldn't walk very well. And you got to go to to work. You can't call in to work like, oh, I got injured doing judo. I can take off the <laughs> you know? They'd be like, mm. it was It was tough. I think just also because of me going to that type of, of dojo where it was like pretty hostile to, to foreigners. So all the toughest guys that would visit that dojo, because it's, it's so old um, and it's passed down from grandfather to the father to the brother and another brother. Um, then all the top guys, when they ever they visited an area, they would come there, and then they would always put me against the guy. Even I was a white belt, and they're like, "Oh, dude, dude!" I was like, "What? I put this dude's belt is black. Plus, it looks like it's about to just fall <laughs> off of it. Why do I need to go there?" I'm like, "Why don't you go get him?" You know, and they're like, "No, no, dude, dude, go." So it was, it was, man. <laughs> I mean, people throw you. Also, they try to throw you um, off of the mat onto the like the outs, like the wood oh. or the you know, so it was concrete. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't, they don't have any restriction about, you know, in, in our, in a gym here, there's no way anybody would really be trying to do that. Most likely they're going to be like, oh, oh, we're about to go off the mat. But no, they would be like, get close to the edge and try to see if they can throw you on the wood. Yeah. And then the, the sensei wouldn't say anything. Oh, Tim, you need to, don't let that guy do that. <laughs> like, man, looking around like, man, is that okay here? Like, you can just throw something on the wood. So it was, it was, that was something that when I got to black belt, I was like, oh, did you, were you kind of like, suck it? I even know you guys like fuck with me all this time. I got it. Eat shit. What? Yeah. Well, no, yeah. Yeah. No, the thing that kept me in judo was wanting to throw the people who were like that, who were throwing me on the wood and stuff. That's what kept me in it because I was like, I'm going to get this dude. I'm, we're going to stay, we're going to live in Japan as long as it takes <laughs> me to throw that dude through me on that wood. I remember one guy, man. I don't know if you know Tani Otoshi, but you take the guy backwards. Man, I went backwards. My head hit the wood. It wasn't like he just threw me on my side. I was my head boom. I was like, oh. And I'm like, what? And they were just the sensei's was like, well, hey, don't let the guy throw. I said, oh, okay. I said, all right, all right. And then I was just running, trying to do double legs. I was just getting thrown all over. I was just mm-hmm. getting mad then, you know. So then they're just laughing and throwing me like that's what they like if you're mad because then you can't even, you know. But that kept did you me going. did you ever have a moment where you got to flop one of those dudes on their head? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Each one of them. No, I got each one of them because my style was more like uh, more like a Russian style. I was doing grabbing legs and I was doing fireman's carries and stuff. They mm-hmm. were used to that. So if when I was a white belt, I could I still couldn't even get that stuff. But once I was a black belt, like I could pull them right onto whatever I wanted to, and I picked the one guy, the one that threw me on the wood. And I, I fireman's carried him onto the wood and like from standing up. And when I did it, we fell all into. There's another little room, waiting room where people smoke and stuff. Oh, that's another thing. They smoked while you're doing judo inside. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. They smoke cigarettes. Yeah. Every, in every sense, they smoked in that gym, everyone. And they, so the smoking room is just like the equivalent of a Derby city. If, if our instructors just went to the front and smoked, but it's still inside the building and then they come back out and teach us. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I remember practicing like, man, is that cigarette smoke? I smell what? There's like 10 guys smoking and then they come right. I'm like, what? Why don't they go outside? But because to them, it's just like, hey, you're learning from me. I do whatever I want to do. Very hierarchical, Ugh. you know. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was, so that was, I would say, making it through that, and they put your name on this block that they etch it in, and they put it up on the wall. That was the biggest, uh, you know, because I was the only person on that wall that wasn't Japanese. So that was a real yeah. big, like, finger in the air. That's 
they put me in this they put my picture in the shrine room like where they have the, they would take people to show because it's a, not only just a foreigner it's a black dude they're like they, i remember they took this guy in there like where they take this oh they're showing him your picture i said mm -hmm. it's because dude you ever seen any more black people even in, in this whole city like because we're in a small city you know i was like oh i didn't think about it he said yeah and then you guys won we won a tournament in, in tokyo it was pretty big and for the first time in like 15 years i didn't know that so they had me in the in the shrine room like a picture and that's where they go in. That's where their ancestry shrines are. So I was just—I didn't know they were because I've looked at it like they're conservative, right wing. They deep down they still don't like me. But my buddy was like, "No, dude, they got you." Like he—he was the one who was fluent in Japanese when I when I had been there only like two years. And he said, "Dude, go in that room." He said, "You—that's their shrine room. That's where their grandfather's ashes are." I'm like, "Okay." I, he said, "Look up there." I look and I saw my picture. I said, "Oh." He said, yeah, dude, that's a big piece. And they'll be showing people that for years. So that's that's probably so as soon as we're done here, you should probably email like Jay-Z and be like, suck it. I'm repping the black community the world over, son. <laughs> and just mic drop on him and be like, what, bitch? Uh, <laughs> that's that's dope, dude. That should be major street cred. I would like get a T-shirt made with your picture in that shrine room and just like walk around and be like, what's up? To, you, you want to fuck with me? Like, what's up? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I remember when you said, when I used to be doing judo, and you would say, why are you yelling like that? Remember you would say that? You're like, why are you yelling? Yeah, I was like, like, huh? What's happening? I was like, why are, are you, I thought you were like being a dick about it. You're like, oh, no, take that bitch. I, I was I like, mean, hey, man, you're better than me. Still, like, I get it. You don't got to like rub your judo dick in my face. Yeah, you were like, where are you getting that from? But, it came from I would throw people and then not make a sound, and they would look at the sensei was like, and I was like, "What happened? Did I do it wrong?" They said, "Where's your ki? You're not showing any spirit. You're not expressing yourself. You're not making any sound. Like you got a ki when you throw people. It's like you're expressing yeah. your spirit, right?" So then, I, once I start getting it, then the tsunami hits, and we end up back in the U.S. And I'm throwing people like that. Even in the judo dojo, they're like, "Oh my god, this guy's screaming!" But they don't realize, I'm like, "Dude, in Asia." If you go into an Asian dojo, every, that's all you hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's just part so of it. So I guess that yeah. some stereotypes do come from truth. You know, so when you see those old kung fu movies yeah. and stuff like that, I guess there is some truth to the. Ah, woo, ah. Yeah. yeah, that's. Oh, they do. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah, that's you definitely hear that. That's wild, practice. man. Yeah. Um, well, I think that a great way to end these things, uh, these conversations for me, uh, is to be on a, a really positive note. And to share a bit with um, the individuals listening, what are some inspirations for you? Like, so if we're if we're talking about you being a black man in America, who are the people that you uh, revered and looked up to to push you through, and to not like? Obviously, you have not let yourself be put in a box whatsoever, which I have always found so interesting about you. And uh, so, who are some of those people for you? Um. Well, my mother, because um, my mother, I would say first and foremost, because she, um, you know, she was a school teacher and she's she's uh, she's pretty religious. So that's but she travels all she travels all over the place and not just for like, oh, I'm doing missionary work. She's she's been to Zimbabwe and been to Russia and she speaks Russian uh, and she started learning Russian when she was like 65. And I remember she told me, don't tell anybody. I said, why not? She said, because they'll just say I'm too old and it'll, it'll be negative energy, negative feedback. So once I get good at it, you can tell everybody. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, she's, she's a big inspiration. Um, and then my father, because he was in, uh, he was a dean of Kent School uh, Social Work at UofL and, uh, you know, first black dean. So of course, all the stories that he would tell me about what he was experiencing when and he set up the group homes in, in Louisville. Um, so he was talking about all the stuff he would experience back then. And that kind of spurred me on to like go outside of the box and, and try uh, various things. And then I've, a few books that I've read about about people who uh, one of them is called Who Owns the Ice House is about a guy who, who would sell ice, but he was black and he would bring the ice to, and the black people would want to buy the white man. They don't want the black guy's ice. They're like the white guy's ice is cold. <laughs> so. That's right. That's right. That's why I paused after that. Like, let yeah. this sink in. And so he, 
So all the guys that worked for him were white. Now, this is the time, you know, right after slavery. So that was very unusual. But he had to hire white guys to sell the ice for because they wouldn't. But the, the book's called Who Owns the Ice House? And he shows the principles of, you know, what made it where he could. And that was always amazing to me when people were successful during times where they might just spit on you if you came to the door and said, oh, you got anything? Just being black. Hey, man. Uh, you know, like, okay. And you can't do anything about it, too. That's another thing. It's not like you can yeah. retaliate. You know, so that, that, Stuff like that, and then then um, just seeing anybody, not just black people, just seeing anybody who's successful in business that came from like some type of tough background, that that inspires me quite a bit. Just just any, I don't, I don't know, I can't really pull a name out of the air, but um, anybody who really like just struggled and then made it after uh, really struggling or coming from a background where they were in poverty, that just inspires me. You know. Beautiful. Um, is there any any message that you would like to send anybody out there? I know that you you know you raise your kids in a way that uh, it sounds like you push them into doing uh, a lot of different things and things that are similar to your uh, upbringing and things that you got into. Is there anything that you would like to push uh, as a message to anybody that might listen to this? Um. I would once coronavirus is over or well, not over, but once it's more relaxed, I would say as much as possible, even if you can't physically travel because it's who knows how long this is going to go on. But try to understand like a lot of the things that you think if this goes along with the theme of the podcast. A lot of the things you think about other people and other cultures are completely uh, they're not the reason like the reason that we get with the stereotyping is not like, why don't they eat? cows in india is not because they worship cows like but that's what people think here it's because of the the uh, agricultural system there they need a lot of oxen they don't use tractors and cows the oxen come from cows so you keep around the cows also they don't use the chemical fertilizer they use the manure from the cow so they, that's why they have so many cats not because the cows are sacred but that's just a small example of a lot of beliefs that we have are just so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just uh, just read this. Read this book. Cows, pigs, wars, and witches: the riddles of culture. Who's that written by? Yeah, it's Marvin, Marvin Harris. Harris. Beautiful. It's, it's, dude, I mean, you know, same thing with uh, pork with Muslims. It it's nothing to do with like Allah said. Don't eat. It's it comes from the the pigs were competing with the with humans for the same resources. And they were trying to get people to cut down on farm because they would use the pigs. They would raise pigs. They're trying to people to cut down. They were like, I'm not cutting down. That's my main thing. So they had to, they said the only way we're going to be able to do it is get the imams to say that this is a proclamation that comes from Muhammad. And he said that the pigs are, you know, the don't eat the cloven hoofed uh, animals, which would be a pork. And that's why they were, they said that you don't eat pork, not because it was some type of filthy animal, unclean animal. So, a lot of the reasons for the things that end up coming down through the years get changed. And then that's the stereotype that we get. Same thing with black, black people don't like to read. And, you know, it comes from a lot of the stuff just comes from advertising. And what would we, what did we find to be the easiest path to success? Physical stuff. Okay. Well, that's what we push. Not because we're stupid. It's just because we just see, all right, only people I know that are multimillionaires are in basketball, football, and yeah. entertainment. Yeah. Well, also I, I had a history teacher that, had uh, really done a nice job of kind of encapsulating some of the, the, the issues with history. He's like, history is pop culture. And he's like, a lot of the right. things that you associate, like Paul Revere was not the guy who actually did the, uh, the midnight ride. Uh, and I forget the, I forget the right. other guy's name. It was something like Higginbottom or something. It didn't, it didn't roll right. off right. the tongue as well. Like it didn't fit into a nice right. poem. So the, they were like, ah, the guy was, Let's yeah, we're going to say Paul Revere. That just is nice. It's like a Hollywood agent yeah. of the 1700s. You're like, what the shit? Okay, right. all right. So it's interesting right. that you bring right. that up. I think that's great. Um, well, Tim, man, right. I would really – I like to try and keep these things like right at about an hour, and we, we're right at it. Beautiful, okay. man. Um, and I'd really like to to thank you for giving me uh, some of your time. And you're, you've always been something somebody that I connected with really early because – took my crass yeah. humor without any, any problem. And we immediately <laughs> just got along and oftentimes our, uh, yeah. our jujitsu instructor would be showing moves and me and Tim are just down on the, our side of the, 
we're, we're just talking and laughing. Head. I mean, we're still working, but we're yeah. just laughing in between, right. throwing each other to the mat and choking each other out. We're like, <laughs> and then it's like choking, choking each other. It's like, what are they doing down there? Why is choking people unconscious so funny? <laughs> but uh, we're kindred spirits, man, and I, I've always been a real big fan of yours. And we'll get together once uh, Daddy Andy lets us out of Corona getting. So, right, right, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I, I've enjoyed it, man. Thanks Absolutely, for dude, beautiful. Thank you.